Welcome back. I've decided to share with you some sermons from our current series, From Faith to Fruit. Jesus told the church that we would be known by our fruits. And if that's true, then why aren't more people flocking to the church? If, as Paul called the fruit, love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and even self-control are what we offer. This episode, we're really going to dive back into the Word. We're going to the Genesis, into the garden, the original moment, to find out where the church went wrong. Maybe our pursuit has been after the knowledge of God instead of leaning into the nature of God. Hope you enjoyed this. Let's go. I see you. Yeah, you. Flipping through all the podcasts, looking for something different. Tired of those with all the catchy phrases? A one-size-fits-all, quick-fix schemes that never seem to fit. My name is Anthony Hart, and if you are like me, you want more than a moment. We are looking for a movement of groundbreakers and world changers who are tired of the status quo, willing to throw it all up to see what sticks, willing to ask a question before pointing a finger. This is your invitation into a collection of thoughtful ponderings posed to make you think one-on-one conversations that challenge you with fresh perspective, and roundtable discussions where sparks fly as iron sharpens iron. Intrigued? Pull up a seat. We've been waiting for you. But don't get comfortable. You might be up next. In the Red is now in session. Let's go. He's really had me in a place over the last couple of weeks of referring back to the fruits, and it's, it's happened through a a plethora of things. You can, man, you can look at a lot of things that we constantly see Christians, people who have been in the Christian faith for a lot of years that are just backing out of church all of a sudden. Some are just denouncing their faith altogether and said, what I was told, I just don't believe. And if you're with me, I don't think I could ever get to that place where I just walk away from the faith because it's never been connected to me sitting in that pew and listening to someone tell me what's real. If that's what it was, and I'll tell you to be completely honest with you, when I was at the age of 18 and I joined the Navy, that's really what it was. I'd sat in church my whole life, listened to my dad and many other preachers preach, but there was a lot I didn't know or understand or even connect to, and I was a product of what I'd been told. How many of y'all at an early age were at that place? I was a product of what I was told, so I believed what somebody told me. And I think that happens a lot. And I think that's the only way I can imagine that somebody can just walk away from Jesus. Because if you know him to a a level that you truly know who he is, what he's capable of, what he came to do, and in turn, what he's positioned you to do, I don't see how you can walk away from that. Um, So I I struggle with that. And I see this a lot going on. But then we also have some like uh, Lecrae, who's a Christian hip hop uh, artist, He just walked away from not the faith, but what the faith has become. And that's just as dangerous. You can look out over the faith and, man, you can find a bargain basement version of what you want to hear. Over the last four to six years, there has been some political versions of the gospel that has been very politicized and weaponized to certain means, depending on which side you are. It can be used in all sorts, all shapes and sizes. And he's, he said, I'm walking away from the politicized Christian faith that it's become. I'm not rejecting Christ. I'm going back to who he is, which will stand in drastic difference from what it's become, if we can really be real with ourselves today. And then you hear podcasts like the Mars Hill podcast, if you don't know what I'm talking about, and I've talked about it before, but uh, a pastor in um, Seattle, Washington, who in the beginning, man, had the right heart, I believe, to really take this Christian gospel and take it to people who had been disenfranchised. He was a punk rocker at heart. So his desire was to take this faith to people who had been told they're not good enough, told they were messed up, and put it in places where it had not been before, which should always be our desire, instead of just taking the gospel to people who look like us, act like us, sound like us. We can get good at that. We can preach the gospel in church. It's easy for us just to agree with each other and we walk out. But he... he He strived to take it to different places. And in the beginning, I've even heard myself. They talked about some of his early sermons and the things he was preaching and saying, I've heard myself say the, if almost 
exactly the same things he said. And in the very beginning of that podcast, I'm like, man, I could get on board. I would go to church with that guy. I would preach alongside that guy. That's the gospel I need to get behind because that's what the people need to hear. But then to watch the progression of what occurred in his ministry and in him, because it slowly got away from what this word says and it became manipulated into what he wanted it to say. I don't think we have any kids in here today. When a pastor stands in the pulpit and says there's something biblical about oral sex, that's wrong. That's when you take this word and you warp it to make it say whatever you want. I'm going to be real with you today because this is where God's had me in. When he can stand there and tell a woman whose husband's not saved, he's not saved because you're not doing that. And then she goes home and does that under the instruction of her pastor, and he does get saved. Now, all of a sudden, he has validation because of something man did and not because of something God revealed. This is real stuff that's being preached in churches today. That's the platforms that are being built in this world. But there's one thing that they said in this, in this podcast that stood out to me. And it said, what occurred in this church, it happens in a lot of places. There are platforms that are exceeding their character. There's a lot of people, a lot of pastors, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christian influencers, athletes, musicians, all the things that are worried about building a platform today, because that's what all of social media is about, is establishing your platform. But they are not taking time and investing in their character. And I believe this is what we're going to discuss over the next couple of weeks. And it is the fruits of the spirit. The fruits of the spirit are not multiple fruits. It's not bananas, peaches, apples, pears. The fruit of the spirit, although it is love, peace, joy, it is the very essence of who God is. It's not like, well, I'll just take a joy and a peace. When you begin to look at it, there is one fruit and it is all of these characteristics of who God is. So when we look at this and we do it, I, I, we have to look. I don't want you to think that I'm attacking the church in any way. I know that last series at times I felt like I was even looking at myself and punching me because I need to get stronger in some areas. But I think this is comparing one versus the other. As we begin to compare the fruit of the spirit, the entirety of the essence of God, the, who the God is against who we've become, we see glaring differences. We see needs because you cannot read Galatians 5, 22 and 23 and talk about the fruits of the spirit and not see a world that is in need and not see our families that are in need and not see our churches that are in need. And the only way that I know for us to get to a place where we're not in need is to get closer to the one who is the fruit. Not realize that we just have access to the Holy Spirit and this fruit, but to realize that we have access to walking in those and bearing those fruit and sending them and taking them to the world. We have an invitation into that. So this week I thought, man, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. First fruit of the spirit it talks about is love. Whoo, God, you just organized some amazing moments. This is where we're going. That's not where we're going. We're going to talk about love next week. Maybe. I don't know. Seven days, a lot can happen. I've just learned to just depend on God and say, okay, that's not what we're going to preach. That's not what we're going to preach. I had a good love, but we'll just, we'll wait on that. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength right? So if we learn to do that, sometimes it's just pump the brakes and then we'll renew your strength so you can do that. But here's where God has me today. Because to understand the fruit of the spirit, I think we got to go back to the original tree that the fruit hung on. So today we're starting a sermon series from faith to fruit. Because faith is the area we invite people into but we never let them know that as a path that faith, as it gets bigger, it produces fruit. Little faith can move a mountain. It's probably not going to produce big fruit. But we don't have a desire for that. We want to preach that sermon. Oh, you just need a mustard sized seed, faith, a seed of faith and you'll be fine. Man, that's for you to go move a mountain. But what's that say about what you're bringing to other people as your faith gets bigger? As you get closer to him, because that's what required for faith to get bigger, something begins to happen to you and people begin to take notice. 
where there was no fruit before, things just begin to sprout off you and fall. And people are picking up like, whoa, Wendy, what are you bringing to the party? (laughs) Oh my gosh, that tastes so much better than everything I've tasted. That's what happens. Suddenly you walk into the Super Bowl party and you brought the caramel drizzled banana chocolate cheesecake from God. (laughs) Now that fruit will be a lot better, I can assure you. But I want to take us back in the beginning, into the garden today. But I want to read a passage of scripture from Matthew first. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. It will be on the screen uh, for those of you that are writing down or do not have a Bible. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So in other words, these are not the people you should be looking for, but they will have fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. Now we talk a lot in the Bible about promises. This is a promise. You can't read that and say, okay, it's not well, it might be, or see, if you read the Bible through that lens of, well, I hope it is, that's how our prayers are. Father, I just hope that I can be a healthy tree and in turn, I, I hope it bears good fruit. No, there is a promise. If I'm healthy, I will bear good fruit. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. There's another promise. I'm going to read that again, and I want you to listen to this. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I want to make a a quick connection here. Do you realize it doesn't say dead tree doesn't bear bad fruit? It says disease tree. And what happens to the disease tree is eventually it is cut down and thrown into the fire. So what I'm telling you today is whether you're a good tree or a disease tree, you're not a done tree. Because this is what happens so many times. We see disease trees out in the world and even in the church and we just condemn them that you're done and you're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. That is the promise at the end of this. But the promise through Jesus Christ is that you do not have to be that. There is an invitation to becoming healthy. When you put your roots into something else, when you begin to water and fertilize and nourish with the right things, you can become a healthy tree and in turn produce healthy fruit. So this is not an assessment. Well, this is just where we're at, church, and we can't get right, and it ain't going to get any better. We're just diseased. We move on. No, this is a call to the church to assess our own trees, and let's get healthy. But let's take it back to Genesis today. Genesis 1, 11, and 12. I want to read this passage before I, I jump to the two trees we're going to talk about. 1 Genesis 11 and 12. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetable plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. Each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed. Each according to their own kinds and the trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. Each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So here we find the, um, the most initial discussion of fruit that we have. And it's in comparison to vegetables. Vegetables yield seed. Fruits bear the seed. It's internal. It is who they are. It is defining of who they are. But the amazing thing about fruit is a fruit doesn't hold one seed. A fruit contains many seeds. So there's something very powerful when you think about a fruit in the way God created it. Fruit was intended to be used for a lot of things. Like when you get to, and we'll get to in a minute, when the curse fell 
God told Adam that you'll no longer eat of the fruit, but you'll eat of the vegetables of the field. Did you know in fruit, such as watermelon, watermelon is 92% water. Strawberries are like 89 to 90% water. So fruit was created with the intent of being your provision. Think about it that way. You could eat fruit, God's version of fruit, and be completely nourished and hydrated. That doesn't mean you can go use water too, but there's nourishment and hydration. You can get it in vegetables, but not to the level of a fruit. Now, I don't know about the fruit that we have today because those shiny strawberries and glossy apples that set on our uh, shelves at your grocer's uh, market, mm, a little suspect because, man, they're beautiful, but they are manufactured in a lot of ways. They always say when you get an apple, you're supposed to wash it in hot water for a while. Why? Because it has a wax layer on the outside. Let me tell you this. The fruit in the garden didn't need a wax layer to look beautiful. So what's occurred between then and now that we have to do things to our fruit to make it look better, to make it last longer? Why? Because we've not been satisfied with what we were given. We are a society of bigger, better, longer, faster, all the things, right? Watch the Super Bowl today. You don't want a bunch of guys from the 50s and 60s playing your Super Bowl now. There was nobody, there was no Larry Zonkas making Odell Beckham Jr. catches. Larry Zonka lowered his shoulder, punched you in the mouth, and put it in the end zone, and you couldn't stop him. Am I right, Rick? It was a no-nonsense, punch-you-in-the-mouth football. They wore leather helmets. Screw all these helmets that are going to protect your brain. I got a brain for one thing, and that's to think about getting from here to there, and I don't care if you're in between here. That's what we want anymore. We want the bigger, faster. And it's dwelled over into everything. It's, it's even in our word and the gospel that we preach. We need a Lamborghini gospel. It's got to be sexy and pretty and fast or nobody's going to want it. There's some moments in the gospel that ain't too sexy. Moments in the gospel where you got to slow down a bit. Moments in the gospel that make you reflect on where you're going and what you're doing. But people gloss over that because I, I just want to get to the, the good parts. Oh, I love it when Jesus said, I came that you would have life and have it more abundantly. I'm going to make a T-shirt and put it on the bumper sticker of my car and just rock that till the wheels fall off. But there's something deeper. So I want to take you to the moment where we encounter the first profession in the word. How many of us have been told that prostitute was the first profession in the The oldest profession. I'm here to tell you there's a different one. Let me introduce you to the first used car salesman. His name was Lucifer. He came in the form of a serpent. You can't tell me that's not what happens in Genesis 2. Because the Adam and Eve that have been presented with this amazing relationship with God. They are the only two humans that are made. They've been given everything. They have the most perfect relationship with our heavenly father, made in his image, given intimate, instant access to him, given dominion over all the earth. Everything that was made is put in their hands and said, Adam, not only you get to rule over, you get to name everything. How many of y'all would like to go back and name some of these things? Like you just do whatever you want. I mean, our kids do it at early age. That's not what it's called. Adam called it a giraffe. You can't call it whatever you want. So in this moment, they have access to all this, but there's something. Because we find the two trees that are mentioned. In Genesis 2, and these aren't going to be on the screen, but if you want to write them down. Um, get to where I want to get to. Genesis 2 and 9. It says, well, yeah, and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Okay, I need you to hear that because this is a hard part for us to realize. Every tree that sprang up was pleasant to sight and good for food. Here's the hard part we have to understand. And I think this is where a lot of questions come out when we think about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because then we start getting in this rabbit hole of, well, God can't create bad or evil things. 
Well, it says right here that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil sprang from the earth. So God made it so it was pleasant to the sight and it was good for food. And I've said this before, but just because it's good doesn't make it God. You know what the difference between good and God is? Oh, think about that one for a minute. Chew on that. There's a whole lot of people just satisfied with good. But when God shows up, oh, when, this is where I'm talking about. You can't walk away from Christianity if you've had a God moment. If you've had good moments, you can walk away from that. because You can find good somewhere else. But the moment you have God moments, like, oh, that, there's no way I can turn that in, mail that in for something else. I can't undervalue those moments. Sorry, that's a side sermon. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we find these two trees. And God gives them an order. <clears throat> and the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now this is, now we hear this, and what our knowledge of dying is, is we just think that knowing what we did, Adam, if you go do that, it's, you're going to die. Boom, instantaneously. But we find something different. So what they know, what they feel, what they, they have is right now is the intimate connection, the ultimate faith in God, because that's all that they know. And he's promised them two things. They're, the tree of life is everything. You can eat from that and have life. It's, but if you eat from that, that's death. So we're created a, a moment here, a decision. See, this has always been the thing about God. And this is hard for a lot of people to understand is he is a God of free will. He is not a God that created robots to just fall in line with their operating system and do what he told them to do. It's always been a decision for that to love or to leave. We all have that decision to make. Even Adam and Eve before sin, before this, there was a decision to make. And it's in this place where he gives them the parameters of the decision. You have the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And while we think in our limited understanding that the knowledge of good and evil would be a good thing, there's something about that knowledge of, of getting in depth of what that meant to find out why it was bad. So that Adam and Eve's in here, and I always say this, but... It didn't say he told Adam and Eve. It said he told Adam. In other words, he gave the rules, restrictions, the law, the word to Adam. Then he created Eve. So it was up to Adam to pass along the word to Eve, right? In the same way now, it's, it's up to us to pass it. When we receive the word, it's up to us to take the word and carry it. When the word's in you... That's the seed now that you have in you. It's not for you to just keep a hold of. It's to carry over. So this is the very semblance of fruit. I'm putting something in you, Adam, that is gonna, you are going to bear. You're not going to yield. You're going to bear it. And then out of you, I'm going to take Eve. And you need to make sure that you're depositing that in Eve to make sure she's aware of this. So then we find in verse or chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field than the Lord God had made. See, that's just like a used car, car salesman, right? Crafty. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He begins to warp this a little bit. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And he this is, goes into a conversation, and eventually he gets her to a place of seeing something. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, there's a word that's used here that I want to begin to break apart. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Now, 
I begin to look at the difference. There's two words that are used in conjunction a lot, but I think there's a drastic difference. And I even think it's, it's one that we pray unknowingly for, and we need to shift what we actually pray for. Knowledge and wisdom. Now, Richie's in our school system. Knowledge is something that our schools promise, right? If you go to school, if you go to college, all the things, knowledge is there. But I think there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And I want to talk a little bit about that because what the devil was truly offering right here is knowledge. In other words, some piece of information they did not have. However, wisdom is when you have that knowledge and you put it into application because what you know doesn't mean it's always right. Let's check back through history of the amount of things that we knew that now we understand may not be true. How many oceans do we have? We have four oceans in my life. Richie, how many oceans do we have? Yeah, no, it's five oceans now. Welcome to the 2020s. Yeah, used to be Pacific, Atlantic, Arctic, and Indian, right? No, I just learned recently as I'm helping my children with their schoolwork, there is now a Southern Ocean. Get out of here. Are you kidding me? So now what I knew 30-something years ago when I was taking the test, and I got 100. I was very astute in my academics. I got 100, and I listed four oceans. Now my littlest child, and I think all my children come home like, there's five oceans, Daddy. You get out of here with that no-good attitude that you know better than me. I've sailed the four oceans. You can take your fifth one and get out of here. Because all you're doing is just changing the bottom part of a couple of oceans to something different and changing the name on it. That is Southern Pacific. That is Southern Atlantic. I don't care what you tell me. How many planets do we have? No, we don't have nine. Yes, we do have nine. I don't care what they tell me. But now all of a sudden, teachers are telling me that Pluto's not a planet. Who are you to tell me that Pluto's a planet? Have you walked on it? Next thing you're going to tell me is Pluto's not a dog. <laughs> this is what I'm telling you about knowledge. You can be told something, but it does not mean it's true. And knowledge has the ability to shift and change because of who you're listening to. You can go get some knowledge about that word anywhere you want today. And if that's the only place you're looking, it's going to become true to you. But there's a time when you're going to receive knowledge that is not true, but it's what you've been told. It's what the enemy hands you in this. That's good for you. You're going to be just like God. That is not true. But Adam and Eve did not know because they had not truly got into the infinite wisdom of what God was. So there was that place, that gray area, that thing they didn't have that suddenly he began to appeal to. You know what it would have happened? And I, I go this place for our military people in here, Rob being the finance guy. Rob, you remember those young guys in the military who they would go to these used car salesmen and get offered this car, right? And they would give them, they got the sweetest ride possible and they're just ready to get it. They don't care what it takes to get it. I'm going to do it. And they sign the paperwork and they come in the next month when they get that first car payment and they're like, oh, I, didn't, I didn't read the fine print. There's like a 900% interest rate on this thing. unknowingly, all they had to do, they could have said in this moment, and I think if Adam and Eve would have known about the used car salesman they were interacting with, all those young sailors, we tell them now when they first get to the ship, we had to realize, okay, this is mistakes being made. When you walk into those places, they're going to put that piece of paper in front of you. What if you said, I want to take this paper, I'm going to take it to my ship, and I'm going to let somebody who knows what they're talking about review it and tell me if this is right or wrong. Suddenly, those sailors are being empowered with wisdom, not the knowledge of what this paper says, but taking this, 
to somebody who's been through it, knows what they're looking for, and suddenly they have been accessing wisdom so they don't make the mistake they made. But that's not what a used car salesman does. He's going to instantly tell you, well, this deal is only available in the next 15 minutes. Now, if you can get to the base in 15 minutes and get back here knowing good and well you can't, unless it's the one right outside of Oceana, then they cut that back to five because that one's really bad. If you have family that's involved in that, I'm only telling you what I've been aware of. So in this place, the enemy, what if Adam and Eve said, man, I've never heard it put in those terms before. Let me take that to God and see what he says. Because your faith is not in what you're being told. If that's what your faith is in today, if you're only in your faith because of something I said, you need to check yourself. Everything that I say, you should go weigh it out with that. Because there was a word that was given to Adam and Eve in the very beginning. You can eat from that one and have eternal life. You eat from that one and you will surely die. Last night we were playing games and our kids, good Lord, when we get to game night, they just, I don't know what it is about noises and picking on each other. And mama's already at the end of her rope because it's eight o'clock at night. And they're just going and she looks at Emma and she says, do not make that noise again. Well, Ty had been making noises too. And Ty makes a noise and Emma makes a noise back at him. And I stopped and looked at Emma. I said, your mother and Morgan said, Ty did it too. I said, that's not the one you talked to. You specifically told her, do not do it again. And, and the first words out of Emma's mouth, well, Ty did it. I don't care. I'm holding you accountable for what you were told. See, we want to do that with God many times. He tells us something. He tells us what's right, what's wrong, what you can do, what you can't do. What will result if you do that thing? And the moment we do it, the first thing we do is, well, Marianne was doing that. Well, somewhere else in the Word it says this. Because we've heard someone preach or someone tell us or even an atheist, because they know the word pretty well and can make it just, well, somebody at work told me this, God, so maybe I'm okay, because maybe that wasn't true, or maybe I can get underneath that, but the promise was still there. So I want to talk about this for a brief, so knowledge, knowledge comes from the Hebrew word, and I want you to listen to this. When I read this, it jumped off the page at me. Knowledge comes from the Hebrew word diath. What does that sound like to you? I don't know if that's just circumstance or situation, but when I read it, something leapt in my spirit. Knowledge is diath. And it means this. And this is not the Hebrew definition, but I looked at the definition. Acquaintance with facts, truths, or principles as from study or investigation. But I want to get back from something because diath comes from the root word yada. So diath means knowledge or what you've attained. It is an end product. That's why I think about death, which is what it sounds like. You've arrived at this. There's an ending to it. Knowledge is the ending result of yada which is to know. Knowledge is a noun. Yada is a verb. To know. And then the, the root word for yada, it doesn't even have one. It says primitive root. But look at the beginning of yada. Yah. Way. So in other words, the root of knowing is Yahweh. The verb or the action to know is yada, and the result is knowledge, which is the end product. See, the knowledge is arriving at a place, the finalized position of what this is, instead of dwelling in a place. What the enemy was selling to Adam and Eve that day was a place of instant knowledge instead of a place of constant leaning. Instantly learning instead of constantly leaning. Instead of continuing to walk in knowing 
and realizing that just because I know this doesn't mean I don't know that. Like knowing who God is, and this is what God invited him into. Although you have access to everything in the garden, what you can see, that tree, that tree, that tree. You have to realize, Adam and Eve, that you don't know everything. And that's where the enemy crept in and said, oh, he didn't tell you everything. Well, let me tell you this. If you eat from that tree, you'll know as much as he does. And it takes us back to a place of why didn't God tell Adam and Eve everything? That's been your prayer in your life so many times. God, why don't you just show me the way? Why just don't tell me what I need to know? Why don't you just give it to me? Your kids are the same way. I have an 11-year-old that would ask for a car right now. I have a 15 and a 13-year-old that would not ask for a car right now. Kate, she'd, she'd try to drive. She, you don't know that if you've talked to her or looked at her because she's probably not talking to you. Um, she came up and was watching Nigel and Tia's kids yesterday for a staff meeting, and they gave her some money afterwards. And I asked Tia, I was like, did she say thank you? Well, did she look thank you at you? Because <laughs> if you've talked to Kate for any amount of time, you're just going to get a blank scare an eye roll or something. That's just who she doesn't talk. However, she is a ninja on the outside and is willing to do anything and everything. She was the one climbing things when our other two were like, I ain't climbing nothing. Ty's 15 and he's still a little hesitant. I had a wreck when he was like nine or 10 and he still remembers that to this day. If the enemy come to him and offered him a tree from good and evil, oh no, oh no. I ain't had that life tree yet, but I don't mm. Daddy said, Kate would be like, I don't know that. Let's do it. <laughs> All of us are that way. There's the gray area in what we don't know. And there's some of us that are willing to dive right in. And there's some that not. I want you to hear this definition of wisdom. Wisdom is, well, first, the synonyms for knowledge are ability. Whether you know it or not, your ability, it can also be your limitation. Awareness. That's what the enemy offered them, an awareness of good and evil. Education. I'm not going to say this with our teachers in the room, but our education can be limited. Or expertise. Have you ever been an expert at something and somebody does it better than you? Happens. See, knowledge is limited, but it can be a place of good enough. I've got the knowledge I need to succeed. And we stop looking. But truly, in this series, as we go from faith to fruit, we have to realize that that's not what God wants to get into you is knowledge. He wants to take you beyond knowledge. He wants to activate that knowledge. And wisdom is this, the state of being wise having the power of discernment and judging properly as to what's true or right. See, he doesn't want you in a place of just a rival. He wants you into a constant place of discernment. That when you get to a place, when you're listening to this Holy Spirit inside of you, and you're like, well, I did this before, and, this, and something in here says, mm, I don't know that that's true. I think you need to get in the Word. I think you need to get some godly counsel. I think you need to connect with a brother or sister and have some discussions about is right, is it wrong, suddenly it's a discernment to make a judgment because you realize it's bigger than what you knew. This takes us from a place of immaturity to a desire for maturity. Because we can become stagnant in our knowledge and our immaturity instead of desiring to know more, moving toward maturity. Because maturity is something we will not truly reach the capacity of until we get to the other side. Then our bodies, our minds, everything that could hold us back, what are we going to be when we get over there? It says to be absent of the body is to be in the presence of the Father. All these things that we have body that limit us will no longer limit us anymore. There were limitations to this. Yeah, I can do this good, but it's limited. Larry Zonka can run this 440 or this 40 in this amount of time. But you know what? 
These guys today are running it a lot faster. What's the wide receiver for the Chiefs? Just went blank. Hill. That dude's feet don't stop moving. There's no way he has blankets and sheets on him when he's sleeping. They've got to be kicked off because his feet are like, da, 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 da. he could be standing still and his feet are going 90 miles an hour. Sorry. I'm on the football, football tip. So I want to take you back to this place. So in Genesis 3, we find after they made this decision, how they do it, when God gives Adam and Eve the result, the curse, what would happen because you did this. See, the death wasn't instant. The death was a slow death. A removal from the presence and the relationship with God. And I think in a lot of churches today, we've arrived at a place where this is just a statement of where we're at and we can't get out of this until we get to the other side. We've just resigned to this, uh, like the woman, I will surely multiply your chain and childbearing. Okay, that's true. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. Understanding that statement and realizing that's the place should move us into a place of not knowing, but a desire to allow God to get in the middle and connect our desires that are contrary to each other. But I want you to listen to what he said to Adam. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But then we skip down to verse 22. And it says, Then Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So now, in that statement, I think we can begin to think that, okay, he, Adam and Eve knew everything God did. It's not true. What they obtained was the capacity to decide what was good and evil. And if you don't have God's perspective then you have a knowledge based off where you're at right then and there of what's good and what's evil. But the perspective when you invite God's intimate wisdom, infinite wisdom into the situation, then suddenly what's good and evil becomes up for grabs. Because it's not based on what you've learned. It's not based on what you've been told. It suddenly becomes bigger to you. Does this make sense? So now I'm going to put you in your Adam and Eve moment. Because this is the space, as we walk out this, this sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit, I think we have to realize that some of the things that we've been told are fruit or some of the things we've accepted as being good fruit have a wax layer on them. I've been pumped up with things to make it look good, but it doesn't taste as good as it could. Because we have the knowledge of what's been given to us instead of realizing what we have access to. See, the moment you got saved, the moment you gave your life to Christ, unknowingly or knowingly, you were put in a place of choosing between two trees in the same way. The only difference is you have a history. See, Adam and Eve didn't have a history other than in God. So in that moment, the gray area was just what they had not been told. The even harder point for us is when we stand in front of these two trees, the knowledge of good and evil is also locked in to what we've known is good and evil. This is hard, especially if you've lived a good life. This is why it's hard for good people to accept God. But we also have access to something that Adam and Eve didn't have. Because Jesus 
is the lens by which the tree of life comes to life. In other words, Jesus in his time on earth, everything he did, everything he said is who we would be if we had chosen the tree of life and not been satisfied with the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus is the disclaimer. He is the wisdom. He is, this can be done. Yet, across the board, a lot of us get stuck at that same tree because, well, I know I've accepted Jesus, but this was good, and I'm going to hold on to this. Instead of realizing you can't eat from both trees at the same time. You have to completely walk away from the tree that has been good enough in order to embrace the man who was God enough. Who that's good. But that's where we're at. And if you don't have that mindset, you cannot read Galatians 22 in the way it's, or 5 and 22, I believe. You can't read it in the way that it's intended. Because you'll skip, and we're going to get to it next week, you'll skip the beginning of it where it talks the desires of the flesh that you have to let go before you can ever grow the fruits of the Spirit. That is our tree moment. What tree, what fruit are you desiring after? Because I can tell you the fruits of the Spirit is the fruit that hung on the tree of life. Because if you have joy, peace, love, gentleness, kindness, self-control, I can assure you there is life in you. And it's not limited to knowledge of what's good and evil. Someone's going to take a bite out of it. Someone's going to witness it. And it's going to defy everything they've been told, everything they've been limited in understanding. Why do you have that in you, Wendy? Because you should not. I know your medical conditions. I know the struggles you've had in life. Why do you have that in you? Because this has not been revealed to me by man, but given to me by God to do something differently, exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what I could even imagine. That's the fruit that God wants in the church today. He's tired of the world around us being malnourished and resided to a curse that was put on them because somebody didn't have all the information. I'm going to be done here. This is that moment where preachers can just preach to preach to preach. I think that was what needed to be said. I'm going to take you back to that statement I said earlier, because this is where you have to check your desire at the door. The moment you met Christ, the moment, the reason you come to church, the moment that you listen to a sermon is your desire to instantly learn or to constantly lean. Because I will tell you this, there ain't a man on earth, including myself, and if you need the pastor that has all the answers and all the truth in them, let me help you find a different church. But we're going to be looking for a while because that's not me. But I can assure you that I have a desire to constantly lean to grab a hold of something tomorrow that I didn't have today, to read a passage of Scripture and it become new and fresh to me. See, as I begin to pray for this sermon series, I realize there's moments of things that we're going to talk about in the next couple weeks, even some things today that I've preached in past moments. But as I prepared for this, I said, God, why are we preaching this again? I've talked about that past. I've talked about Something new comes fresh and out of it. I'm like, oh my gosh, we missed that. I missed that. And if I missed it, I didn't bring it to you. So God, please continue to reveal something new in this word each and every day. And to have my desire to continually bring it to those in need. Suddenly you don't come convinced of what this word says. You have a desire to keep tasting it. To keep knowing. You know, the extension of that Matthew scripture, if you flip over 
So in seven, he says, they'll recognize them by their fruits. But in chapter 12, Jesus talks about it again. Verse 33, it says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. There's another part in the word where it says, taste and see. See, we've been good at making our fruit good to look at. But we distance people enough away from it that they'll never taste it to see what it really tastes like. The church has become a museum that people on the outside can look and say, I can't go in there because I don't look like them. And I've not got it all together like them. And look how shiny they are. And look how pretty they are. But what's that saying in chapter 12? You can't see it and know it. But there's an experience that happens when you taste it. I long for a day that the church is known by its fruits. That there's a world out there that begins to taste and see that we drop the boundaries, we remove the glass shields in the museum, and we allow them access. Not because we know what we have, but we're continuing to learning the access we have. I challenge you this week as we prepare for this sermon series, ask God, which tree have I been setting at the tree, at the base of? Which tree have I been setting under the shade of? Which tree have I been resigned to eat from? What's holding me back from bearing the fruit that's going to change the world around me from the inside out? Father, we thank you today for this word, for this reflection moment, for this constant invitation. Just as your son did, it was never come and arrive at this place. It was an invitation to go somewhere new. Father, I pray that that's our desire today. Even as the disciples, when Jesus left, it was never an arrival. It was now go to a new place that you've not been. Because as we are in a process of going, we realize we need you more and more. As we walk into environments and situations that we have never been before. We have to lean on you and your wisdom like never before. And it's in that place of uncomfortableness, of insecurity even at times, that you reveal yourself in a deeper way. And then and only then can we begin to discern who you are versus what the enemy tells us you're not. Father, I'm thankful for the continued invitation today to all of us. I pray that we accept it this week to walk a little deeper in you. To listen a little bit more intently. Father, we give you this moment of reflection, this time of word to you. Lock it in our hearts. Present us moments throughout the week to reflect and dwell and discuss. Knowing that as a family of believers, as we come together, we are stronger in the image we were created in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen.